here today and this is the alternative show and you are tuned to kskq.org 94.9 fm thank you for listening to my show if you're new this is a variety show that includes music old-time radio shows thought-provoking conversations metaphysical discourses skits news and more coming up this hour we're going to be playing music from sarah brightman enya enigma uh potentially a couple of other people where did they go somewhere um, Jeff Buckley, Glenn Hansard, uh, we'll potentially be doing some interesting answering machine messages. Hopefully, if we have time, we'll do uh, some more Shadow and, uh, and our new segment, The Best of YouTube. And in a few minutes, we'll be talking with our special guest today, which is my father. Uh, but before we do that, we're going to play a song, uh, Deliver Me by Sarah Brightman. And uh, to get you in the mood for our topic today, which is going to be alternative reality, which we'll explain to you when we get back, I have a quote for you, which you can ponder while you're listening to the next song, and it is this. The only energy you ever get from anyone, ever, is your own energy. That is the consequence of manifesting your own reality. And that's a quote from my father. Here's Deliver Me by Sarah Brightman.
So today we're going to be talking with my father, who's a special guest in the studio today. And um, let me make sure his microphone works. Dad, say something. Testing? Am I here? <laughs> I can hear you. Can you hear you? No, I cannot hear myself very well in these earphones, but I don't hear the rest of it, so I, I think it's okay. Okay. Um, so yes, so my father is in the um, studio today, and we're going to be talking about a number of different things that kind of we've talked about briefly over different episodes. Um, he's given me a lot of feedback over the um, well over the email, just on kind of different stuff that we've talked about in the past, and I thought it would be really nice just to kind of go over some of the feedback that, that you've given me and expand a little bit on some of those subjects, especially given your you know, background. Um, so yeah, so I guess uh, the first question would be, we kind of went a little bit back and forth on the name, so I was kind of wondering what the name meant to you. Alternative reality. Well, uh, there are a lot of terms out there, virtual reality, and we discussed uh, new paradigms and all kinds of other terms, but alternative reality is excellent uh, and from my perspective. It means the ability to transition from the reality one currently resides in. All of us, um, in my belief, and I believe many believe, create our own reality. And the real enigma, the challenge, is how do you move to an alternative reality which is more what you desire? So, um, well, your background is... I guess originally in science, which is really interesting, but you've kind of transitioned over a little bit more to more of a metaphysical slash kind of religious outlook, I think. Um, maybe you could talk a little bit about how you got there and maybe where you came from. Uh, fair enough. I, I actually began as a very conservative uh, scientist. I got my uh, degrees in physics and uh, ended up uh, being a teacher for a number of years and a number of other jobs in between and then ended up at a research laboratory uh, out in Mesa, Arizona, actually specifically uh, Williams Air Force Base that uh, is in Higley, Arizona now. And uh, that Air Force Base transitioned about 15 years ago uh, from being a Department of Defense uh, Armstrong Laboratory um, facility to uh, being in the middle of a civilian Air Force Base, which is uh, now the Mesa Gateway Airport, the Phoenix Mesa Gateway Airport. And it's still the Air Crew Training Research Division. It's still under the Department of Defense, but it's on this base, and it's a, a campus now. And so there is a lot of transitioning going on. Back in the time frame when I was there, which was really about 25 years ago to 15 years ago, uh, we did research in virtual reality, and the purpose was to train pilots. And so I had a great deal of experience in working with display technologies and computer generation technologies and how you can create alternative realities with them. And that uh, I have found to be a wondrous understanding for how we can actually create a different reality in our real life. It's, uh, it's interesting. I, I remember when I was growing up being able to go to the, the Air Force Base and uh, 
and actually getting to try the cockpit that you had been working on, which I guess was somewhat of a virtual simulator using an actual cockpit from an airplane and what, like gyros and things like that. And uh, I guess you replaced the main windows with view screens, so it would feel like you're in an actual um, airplane doing basically a virtual simulator, kind of like the Microsoft Flight Simulator. Uh, absolutely. We built wraparound displays a couple of different ways, uh, some of which I actually ended up with uh, patents on and and uh, things like this. So one uh, was a, a joint venture with the Canadian government, which was a helmet-mounted display uh, that allowed head and eye tracking so we could do real immersion into an environment. It became very compelling. And a lot of this is uh, shown on the movie industry, and they've done wondrous uh, things as well in bringing those technologies forward so that the public can really understand what it looks like to be immersed into an alternative environment, how compelling that can be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's, I, I do remember actually being able to test that, which I don't think I was allowed to at the time, so hopefully the government isn't listening right now. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, it's okay. You were allowed. <laughs> <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> yeah, I remember putting the helmet on and and having the sort of virtual screen show up. And I think it was just only in the two, uh, the goggles that I was wearing that would show sort of a virtual map of like elevation and and tilt and things like that. And 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 that's definitely a precursor to where we're going. I, I've seen. I think in popular science they have. Uh, the future of cars, which is they've just got displays built directly into the um, the windscreen, you know, the windshield, to where you can see, um, you know, how fast you're going. You can see, um, it'll even point out like cars and things like that that are coming up, and and even give you directions on the screen that you're looking through to see where you're going, which seems like kind of the future of where we're heading with all this kind of stuff. Well, that was uh, another technology. Actually, um, that wasn't on the head. That's called a heads-up display, a HUD. And the F-16 and uh, many different aircraft, uh, F-18, many different aircraft will have that sort of technology. It's very useful for a pilot. They also mounted some of these technologies on the head as well in uh, helicopters and fixed-wing aircraft and and so on. And they have transitioned to the civilian market, as you said, in the high-end automobiles, uh, which is really nice because you can... You can get feedback on what's going on without having to look down, so it's much safer is really what it boils down to. Well, um, I guess transitioning this into uh, something that I kind of grew up with was uh, video games. Definitely, I mean, getting to try that kind of stuff out at the Air Force Base, I think kind of really brought me into video games and the immersive realities and stuff. And we played a couple over the years. Uh, You introduced me to Myst, actually, which was one of my favorite... Um, true, like at the time, very immersive games that really just put you in a whole other world. Um, uh, of course, nowadays the animation is really bad, but back then it was really realistic and uh, and really put you in there. And it seems to me like one of the ways that that video games and immersive realities and and computer animation and and all this kind of stuff can really take you somewhere where uh, you can't necessarily go in real life. Um, almost taking you into dreams or into your imagination and giving you kind of a perspective on how things could be or, you know, sort of a what if. I absolutely have to agree, uh, and I, I think you hit the, the main point. Everyone has a virtual reality capability in their dreams. 
both asleep and in awake. Now, what these other technologies do is allow you to enhance that and give you other perspectives and abilities so that you can do even more. You can dream, shall we say, more compellingly uh, and create more compellingly. I think of these technologies as being ways of educating us for awareness that are really taking us from the physics and the science and so on into the metaphysics and the creativity, which is really where humanity is going. Yeah, it seems to me the more advanced technology gets, the more it mimics real life. And, I mean, if you're truly mimicking real life, you're also trying to answer some of those complex questions like quantum physics and alternate reality and how do things actually work. And it seems to me that, you know, video games and uh, movies, and the more realistic they get, the more they're trying to answer those questions, which I I think is really interesting. Uh, It's absolutely wonderful what they create, uh, certainly in the movie industry, but also the game industry as well. In the, in the ability to put yourself into other worlds, other concepts, expansive views, and also very rapidly with games to go through so many different scenarios that you would never be able to do. Uh, there is even value in, in war games because you can get saturated with that and realize, okay, that may not be what I want to do with my life. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. Sorry. Well, yes, uh, most certainly. Uh, um, The idea that uh, violence in these games necessarily leads to more violence may be true in some instances, but by and large, I would say it, it leads to more awareness. And talk to somebody who's been to war, and there aren't many, and I have had friends killed in war. Uh, Vietnam uh, up to uh, uh, the current ones because I worked at the laboratory when they went to war. And people who go to war come back changed. People who ex- can experience this in a, in a game scenario can get a taste of what it really means to see some of this violence up front and understand that it may not be what they really think it is. Mm-hmm. I, uh, I, I know for myself... Uh, I've always looked at video games as an outlet. I've been a fan of first-person shooters, and I know they're fairly violent, but that's what kind of let me get out those uh, elements of myself that, that I can't really express in day-to-day life. And when I have that chance to really kind of release that, I can see, you know, what it does not only to me, but to, you know, in potential environments like video games, what the consequences, and video games nowadays are getting more and more realistic in terms of the consequences of your action. Everything is definitely moving more towards realism. But I think that's the benefit of it, is uh, being able to experience what could happen and also you know, kind of get out those personal frustrations and, and feelings and stuff and see you know, what that's actually like. I don't think of it as in any way as a replacement for actual reality. But it's definitely a really good training ground, it seems. I would have to absolutely agree. Um, I have had uh, people that uh, I've known who have been shot and have seen uh, their friends killed, and they come back so profoundly changed um, that there is no true substitution for that in the gaming industry. Uh, Yet the reality is at least to get a taste for it. 
and you understand a little bit of what it means because there's emotion involved in all of this mm -hmm. and it can bring up the emotion. Yeah, I mean, people that think that there's not emotion attached to the things that you experience within the media that you saturate yourself with. I mean, I know for myself, if I play a game too long, that game gets stuck in my head and I start seeing my reality through that. And, uh, and that's true with pretty much any media. You have emotions attached to them and trying to deny the fact that those are real, actual emotions and, you know, pretending they're fake and not dealing with it is the same thing as not dealing with them in real life. I mean, the experiences may be uh, virtual, but the emotions that are attached to them are definitely ones that you need to process. Uh, yeah, I mean, a training ground is, can be just as dangerous and just as uh, realistic to your subconscious as real life. And even more so, uh, the understanding, of, for instance, in the Olympics, um, uh, skiers uh, will visualize going down a slope before they actually do it and bring in um, to their reality a sense of feel of every turn and everything uh, prior to actually doing that particular run. And it has been shown uh, in the laboratory that when they're doing this, their brain can't necessarily readily distinguish between that simulation in their head and the actual run that they eventually do. It is a practice run. So games do, uh, in very compelling ways, give us education that it would be very difficult for our mind in some regards to distinguish between that and the real thing. Mm -hmm. um, that actually reminds me of an experiment I, I heard about. Um, it was uh, They were testing people for like basketball. Um, and what they would do is they had a bunch of people practice actually shooting the ball. And then they had a whole bunch of people just think about shooting the ball over and over again. They both spent pretty much equal amounts of time on it. And in the end, when they both, like when both groups of people went to actually shoot the ball, they were basically on par with each other, which was very interesting. Because uh, the people that had been practicing it in their mind were getting the same kinds of experience as the people who were doing it in real life. I mean, it wasn't exact, but it was fairly close. Versus the people who just spent like an hour or two um, practicing but not thinking about it. And it, there was a like dramatic difference. Uh, there's, there's probably a lot more information that I'm leaving out here, but I do remember it was very similar between the amount of time you spend in your head practicing it over and over again and the amount of time you spend in real life. Um, and I thought that was really interesting. I, I think that's a really excellent example of the value of what we can do daydreaming, for instance, and dreaming at night. That creation scenario is creating the potential for that real reality to manifest for you. Um, I'm going to segue a little bit because uh, I think Computer animation and, and everything is interesting, and we're just about to get kind of in the meat of what our discussion is, which is metaphysics, quantum physics, things like that. But I wanted to start by a little bit of a personal story about uh, computer animation. It's, it's not—it's more of amusing, I guess. But I have always felt that the way that we build our computers and the way that computers simulate reality is. Um, is basically, you know, even building the video game is a training ground for actual reality. It's a way for us to dissect our own reality without having to do it to the actual reality or in ways that we wouldn't be able to do in real life. Like, for instance, a video game. 
um, or a computer animation program or something like that, when it builds a world, it throws in all these random properties like infinite space and um, you know planes and, and geom geometry and things like that, and it bases them off of real life. You can do things to those that you can't do in real life. But what I've always found was really interesting is when it renders it, um, what it does is it takes the basic information of whatever is in that viewport, um, whatever perspective you're looking at. So you've got like maybe a house and a tree and some grass and things like that. And you're wanting to render that scene and turn it into an actual picture of the 3D thing that you created, you know, like Pixar or a Toy Story movie or something like that. They have to render all their animation so it turns into an actual video. But when it renders, it takes only the information that's in that window. Everything else that's around it is just basic algorithms. It's like, all right, I have to render this leaf on a tree, but the rest of the tree, I know it's there. I just need the basic information about the tree to be able to render what is in this window. If it had to render everything in the entire environment, it would take uh, probably forever, I would imagine, with the level of complexity that it would have to think about. And that brings up questions for me in regards to quantum physics and quantum reality and um, uh, you know the, the Heisenberg uncertainty principle which you actually told me about which I thought was really cool um, so I, I guess that wasn't a really great segue but um, yeah so I guess the question is, is um, can you just talk a little bit about the Heisenberg uncertainty principle and what that means the Heisenberg uncertainty principle is one that has has since been proven. It was one that uh, Albert Einstein had a great deal of uh, difficulty with, and it was in the early uh, uh, developmental stages of quantum physics and and uh, the debates that were going on around this. And basically, what Heisenberg said was that you can never know enough to really pin something down. That if you know one piece of information really well then the other information uh, you're going to know less well. And there's only a level to which you can know, and there's always an indeterminate amount that's left. So you can never perfectly know the state of something. If that hadn't happened, physicists would have contended that if we could figure out the state of every molecule, of everything on everywhere, and pin it all down, then from then on everything's determined because we could calculate the next move and the next move and the next move. And that means that everything's predetermined mm -hmm. and we have no free will. It was a, a huge debate, and what it boils down to is Einstein didn't like it because his retort was, God doesn't play guy dice. He didn't feel that God would be willing to not know the answers. And the way I would answer that is that we have free will. And not knowing the answer is something that God set up on purpose so that we would have free will. We therefore do not have a predetermined future. We can create our own reality and we have free will. All consequences, if you look at the Heisenberg uncertainty principle and some of the rest of physics. It's interesting that physics and these hard sciences are the ones that are actually proving the metaphysics that has been so controversial and yet is leading to the awakening awareness that uh, all of mankind, all of humanity is going through. 
It actually, uh, to me, it kind of boils down to, to one thing, um, and that's that uh, when you look at reality and you look at the idea of fate and, and choice and the idea that God has to know all the answers, I mean, in many ways, both things can be true. Because God could know all the answers to everything out there in the universe, or really all the possibilities, which is really what this is about. I mean, there's so many different possibilities out there. Every choice you make, the opposite choice could have also happened. So God could know every single possibility that's out there without knowing what it is that you're going to choose. And in that way, he would always be correct. He would always know what, all the answers, but you would still have your own free will in terms of what you get to choose what happens to you. And I think that was very nicely stated. Thank you. May it be an evening star shines down upon you. May it be Oh, how far.
So um, I want to start us up again by talking a little bit. Oh, sorry, volume. Um, talking a little bit about an idea, which is basically an orange. If you take an orange and uh, and then you peel it, uh, did the inside of that orange exist before you peeled it? I guess that would be a question. <laughs> and and the answer in uh, this is uh, actually from physics is something that goes back to Schrodinger's cat. Uh, if you have a cat inside a box, what's the condition of the cat, either dead or alive? And uh, within physics, the, it was never determined until the moment that you opened the box and then the state of the cat, which had all kinds of potential answers, became fixed at what you discovered. Well, the inside of the orange has all kinds of potential states, whether it's a rotten orange or a fresh succulent one, or it has a bug in it, or, or so on. And when you finally peel the orange, you find inside whatever the treasure is. In a reality where we create our own reality, we are creating that state. That's what quantum physics is about, or what the movie What the Bleep Do We Know um, is uh, speaking of that this state is not there until the last moment. As you stated, that uh, God may know all the potential answers that can be in there, but you get to determine what you get as a treasure from inside the orange. And that's about creating an alternative reality. How do you go from always expecting your orange to be rotten to having a nice, sweet, succulent orange that you get to... Uh, enjoy the juice from. Now I know. I'll bet a lot of people are asking. You know, what if, uh, what if you want the orange to be an orange and someone else wants it to be a pear? And how do you deal with that? Well, now you have conflicting realities, and uh, yes, indeed, uh, we do live in a mix of many people creating all simultaneously. So when you're talking about uh, the state of the nation, you're talking about a great number of people who are contributing to the, how that reality comes out. But when you're talking about uh, the state of your own personal orange, you have an enormous amount of influence on that. Now, if you have a strong authority figure that you have given power to, say a parent or a spouse, who has an enormous influence over you, then they can have the influence of altering the state of your orange. But if you are within your own integrity and have not given your power away, in other words, not turned yourself into a victim, then you have the ability to determine your own reality. So ultimately, it always comes down to a personal choice. I mean, there's... uh, You can't really... Nobody can choose for you what your reality is going to be unless you allow them to, it seems. And that would be true. And, of course, if you're getting a pair of oranges and they get one and you get one, then you have overlapping realities, uh, most certainly. Just go back for a moment, though, the thought, everybody out there who feels like a victim is going to think, oh, my God, everybody's controlling the state of my orange. Remember that you gave that power away. And you do have the ability to take that back and to be responsible for what you've created. 
And that's really how we transition from our current reality to an alternative one. So um, this brings up a lot of questions like, you know, manifesting and, and, and projecting. And I guess it kind of brings us back to fate and free will and all these kind of things. And it seems to me in a lot of ways that these questions have been answered traditionally by the church. Um, over time, uh, science started kind of taking over some of those answers. But in a lot of ways, it seems like they're saying many of the same things. I mean, when you really look at it, uh, and maybe not the church specifically, but I, I guess I'm thinking more along the lines of New Age metaphysics. And a lot of the religions have those kind of ideas in them. I mean, Zen Buddhism, Taoism, uh, more of the Eastern religions tend to think along the manifesting your reality line, of, you know, train of thought. But um, it seems to me like when we're talking about quantum physics and, you know, the Heisenberg uncertainty principle and Schrodinger's cat, these are all just different ways of saying you're basically in control of your own life and whatever you choose, no matter what it is, is your reality. Uh, I would agree, but I, uh, I'd like to go back you in bringing up both the church and in science. You're really talking about two forms of religion because science became a religion that this country and most of Europe bought into. And most certainly the established religions have had a great deal of power over the way people think. And there has been uh, certainly a, a, a fight between the two of them, going back to the Renaissance and many of the revealments that science was trying to bring forward and the church was resisting. There is dogma in virtually every establishment that seeks to hold to what the established thought is and is resistive to new ways and freedoms of thought. It's all about freedom. And the point is that look at all of these, whether or not you're talking Schrodinger's cat, science, church, religion, um, the uh, established institutions like governments and so on, is having a vested interest in self-perpetration and not necessarily a vested interest in your own perpetration. And you were in creating your own reality are looking to do your own perpetration and an even creation. And so feel into how these resonate with you. You may not agree with what's said on this show. You may not agree what's said at your church. But some of it may resonate with you and some of it may not. But look for where it resonates and where you can create from there because every one of us is different. And that's of value. Well, that uh, that kind of brings me to uh, the idea of well going going with the flow actually, and you talk about feeling into how things work, and I, I've always kind of gone with, by this principle myself, just, uh, just going with the flow and feeling where it takes me and things like that. But uh, there is to some degree a difference between feeling what's right for you and who you are and where you're on, where you're at, and uh, resisting something because of. You know your own personal stuff, and everybody has stuff. But uh, but I guess how do you how do you tell the difference? How do you tell the difference between going with the flow and resisting because it's something you don't want to do? Well, I think uh, the, the most important point about resisting is to understand that when you resist something, you feed your life force into it. So therefore, you're creating exactly what you don't want. 
And getting rid of resistance is not something that's going to work either. Uh, going into a meditative state where you're non-resistive is virtually impossible because there is all kinds of resistance built into you already. So it becomes a state of awareness of where you're in resistance. And these don't need to be qualified as good or bad. They just need to have an awareness of them and then an acceptance of your own resistance. That allows you to move forward whether you resist angry people or destruction or war or any of the rest of it. Um, Mother Teresa was once asked whether or not she would go to an anti-war rally. And her answer was, well, no, but if you ever have a peace rally, I will go to that. Mm -hmm. She knew enough to know not to resist war because she would feed her own energy into it. Well, it kind of comes back to whatever your focus is. Um, Yeah, I mean, whatever you focus on is basically what you put energy into. If you're focusing on resistance, then you're putting energy into that which you don't want to be. Or, you know, just by saying you don't want to be something, you're adding resistance to it to some degree. Absolutely. You feed your life force into it. Um... Well, there's there's going with the flow, and then there's you know resistance, and then how does uh, how does faith fit into that equation? With faith, uh, to me, is the bridge by which you get from where you're at to what you would truly like to see be, and. You may not always know. In fact, you are not going to always know how to get there. You're not always going to know exactly what to trust in. Sometimes you have faith in others. Sometimes you have faith in your own abilities. Faith is that open-hearted leap that breaches the current reality to the alternative reality that you would truly desire. It's how your dreams come about. And there's definitely a difference between having faith and having a belief system. Belief system being more like uh, powering through obstacles as opposed to kind of going where things take you and and believing it's going to work out, it seems. And and notice uh, in, in the concept of powering through obstacles, yeah, there are those who can do that, but there's resistance to the alternative paths. And they may very well have value. It doesn't mean you need to take them, but by being in resistance to them, you may in the short term overpower, but in the long term you defeat yourself. Yeah, because you you basically limit yourself to whatever you have in your own personal scope. So like you may have an idea about who you are and and what you want to be and you achieve that. Uh, How's that any different from just having that idea to begin with? I mean, you don't leave yourself up to... Uh, new possibilities, different, you know, different ways of being. It's, a, it's sort of a manifest destiny idea. It's like, yes, you can have this idea about what you want. You can have a Lamborghini, and then you get that Lamborghini. Um, but how is that any, any different from just thinking about having that Lamborghini and acting like you already have it? I, I think the difference is that you have to hold a dream, and we all have to have dreams, or else, you know, what's life about? Yet, we don't want to nail down how they will manifest or how they will come forward or constrain or constrict, shall we say, creation, the universe, from how it's going to bring this forth for you. That Lamborghini 
may indeed be a gift from a next-door neighbor in an unexpected way, or an acquisition from as an inheritance from an uncle, as opposed to you figuring out that I have to earn this amount of money, I have to bring this in, I'm going to get this, I'll get this good job, and then I'll do these stepping stones, and eventually I'm going to have that Lamborghini. Uh, I've always thought it's better to build off of a feeling. You know, you have an idea about how you want to feel about something, and then you go after that feeling. And whatever it is that comes along that brings you that feeling, that's what the answer is. If you try to attach a feeling to something, that's almost like saying, you know, if I had a whole bunch of money, I would be happy which uh, inevitably doesn't turn out to be true. And I would say what you were bringing forward there is what most people think of in terms of having money is freedom. And what they really desire is having the freedom that money will buy, or so that it seems. And the real understanding is that you have free will already, and as you begin to exercise that, then the rest of it can fall into place. So, um, maybe you can help me tie this into our conclusion. So, yeah, I'm not quite sure how to get there. <laughs> well, I think I understand. Uh, the, the problem with alternative realities and the problem with reality in and of itself is that a person creates from where they're at. You create from where you are. And if you are angry or depressed or having enormous difficulties because the bills haven't been paid. You wish to be living an abundant life, which is quite reasonable, and yet you're in poverty. How do you get from where you're, where you're situated, the reality that you're living, to what you truly wish to, to have in your dreams? And you only create from where you are. So how do you take where you're at, where your heart is, is putting out and move to where you desire to be. And the answer is, look at where you resist. Those resistances are the life flow waiting to come forward, open to all that you are, the dark and the light, the depressed, the impoverished, and all of it is a complete flow of perfection. And then you can move to the greater freedom that would allow your dreams to come forward. Well, thank you, Dad. It's been really wonderful having you on the show. I really appreciate uh, you coming in here and doing this. I am absolutely honored, and this has really been fun, son. Thank you. Well, I don't know if I said it before, but this is my dad, uh, Mel Thomas. And, um, yeah, and here is a song.
And now it's time for a classic commercial break. When you're looking for a treat to freshen taste and keep breath sweet, get double smoothness, flavor too. Get the gum that's double good to chew. Double your pleasure, double your fun with double the double the double mint gum. You're listening to KSKQ LP, 94.9 FM, Community Radio in Ashland, a project of the Multicultural Association of Southern Oregon. Southern Oregon Jobs with Justice proudly supports KSKQ LP, 94.9 FM in Ashland. Southern Oregon Jobs with Justice brings together labor unions, religious congregations, student groups, and the community organizations to improve working people's standard of living, job security, and their right to organize. Visit their website at www.sojwj.org. KSKQ thanks Southern Oregon Jobs with Justice for supporting community radio. Banana phone. Ring, 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 ring. Banana phone. To change your personal greeting, press one. Have a tone. Record your greeting. At the end of your greeting, press pound. Here's how your personal greeting will sound. And now, our favorite answering machine messages. Number I have just smoked is no longer in service. So please bring me another number over immediately at the tone. Just tell me when you can be here with my new number. This answering machine has been connected to a 5,000 volt power supply that has been wired to this small kitten. If you hang up before leaving a message, little Fluffy here will be blown to smithereens. It's your choice. <laughs> out of time here. We're basically at the end of our show. Um, but before we go, get out a pen and paper. It's time for Spell Speak. Spell Speak. So if you can keep up, you will be able to decipher this very important message. Once you're done, be the first to email me this message at trevor at kskq.org and you'll get a 10% savings on your first project with Lightworks Media. Lightworks Media provides conscious marketing, video, web, and print design services to businesses worldwide. Go to www.lightworksmedia.com for more info. Sorry, that's www.lightwerxmedia.com. If you need to hear the message again, the show will be up in the archive section at kskq.org later tonight. Here we go. Y-O-U-C-A-N-F-L-Y-B-U-T-T-H-E C-O-C-O-O-N-H-A-S-T-O-G-O. After the closing, we will be playing Hallelujah by Jeff Buckley. Coming up at 8 is uh, Whistling in the Dark. 
you have feedback or suggestions or just want to say hi, send me a message at trevor at kskq.org or go to thealternativeradioshow.com to listen to some of our past skits and segments, archived shows, and a link to our Facebook page. You can listen to our show every Tuesday at 7 on kskq.org, 94.9 FM. And, uh, and before we go, um, actually, I, I didn't tell you guys, we played uh, May It Be by Enya, and then we played Return to Innocence by Enigma during our, our topic earlier today. And before we go, I wanted to play a, uh, the inaugural speech by Nelson Mandela, which was originally quoted by Marianne Williamson. And here it is. show, which would not be possible without substantial donations from Anna Septic, created by Aaron Tires, with producer Terry Clark and studio engineers Idaho and Randy Peters. Special thanks to Howie Kisses, High Marks, and my good friend Richard Keyes, patent lawyer Meg O'Tan, Mary Kay cosmetics saleswoman Doris Close, and of course Al Gore for inventing the internet, without which this nearly live streaming broadcast would not be possible. All celebrity voices are impersonated unless stated otherwise during the show, which is broadcast live on location at Walt Disney's Tomorrowland theme park in Disneyland France. Where la piscine dans les déserts raisons. C'est plus bon, magnifique. Featuring the host with the most, Trevor S. Thomas, and yours truly, Alan Wren. You're listening to KSKQ 94.9 FM, Ashland Radio, a product of the Multicultural Association of Oregon. Thank you, and good night.
the day that played and it pleased. 